Welcome, everyone. We've got the ordinary, everybody's late kind of scenario. So, but there's no point in you guys who are here on time having to be deprived. (laughs) So, um, uh, Romy will be back in in a few minutes to make announcements. And I will, uh, I'll start a little bit and then we'll, we'll continue with more as more people filter in.
put it here, and then you can put it there. Okay, why don't you have a Good morning, friends. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Nice, quiet morning, the beginning of a three-day retreat. Lucky us. It's just beautiful. So thank you for being here. Happy to welcome you all to Spirit Rock. Sorry, I was running around. My name is Romy, and I'm the event coordinator here, and we'll be with you for three days. We also have two fabulous volunteers. Paulina is here, and Veronica is downstairs welcoming the people that are still coming in. They have name tags, and if you have any questions, you can speak to them throughout the three days. Um, first of all, I think a lot of people might be new to Spirit Rock. Is that true? Who's new? Well, you're not. Just okay, so I'll just direct my my announcements to you directly. The restrooms. You found them. That's very important. Let's face it. The restrooms are right outside. We also have some downstairs, but outside restrooms, there's tea outside and snacks. Um, if you want bottle uh, filtered water, there's two places to get filtered water, by the tea area downstairs and outside the restrooms um, downstairs by the bookstore. So uh, if you want water, oh, because we're a multi-day, let me say it's lovely if you bring a water bottle filler from home. Paulina, will you? Gee, I'll have Jesse check that. Yes, everyone. Okay. That's what they look like. You're welcome to bring one from home and you can fill up. Or if you have teacups with lids, you're welcome to bring those from home. Yes, I hear that static. I'll get my coworker to come check it out as soon as I'm done. That reminds me, cell phone turn-off time. Please turn off your cell phones if you haven't already. If you'd like an assisted hearing device, we have them in there in the back. Speaking of assisted hearing device, if Ama asks for questions or comments, if you wait for the volunteer to bring you a... <laughs> ...seem to be working right now. If you wait for the mic... It's a free uh, nonprofit website where you'll be able to hear all of Let's see if that changes anything. Just don't forget when you stand up. I will forget. It's a mindfulness practice, yeah. It's not possible. Okay, when she stands up, everyone say, Don't forget your mic. You're attached. Oh, no, you're not attached. That's a little Dharma joke. Um, we have one acre deli across the street. If you did 
for your lunch. I can bell ringing when it's time to come into the room. Oh my goodness. And tomorrow, there'll be another hundred people downstairs. A little further, there's a wood gate that says residential. We're non-residential retreatants. I know it's confusing. <laughs> so I'll hand it over to Alma. If you have any questions at all, I'm downstairs in the office. Have a lovely day. Alina, um, she, just, she just put name tags on the back. Can you pass them out and, and a pen? Thank you. So uh, hello, everyone. And I am I'm really happy to be here. I think we're very lucky. We're some of the luckiest people in the whole world to have a couple of days for a retreat in this absolutely spectacular, beautiful place in this wonderful retreat center with teachings that are designed to free our hearts. And so I don't know how much better it can get, really, you know? And so we're, we're in a good space. So I'm asking you to write name tags. Um, I will ask you to say your names, and I have a three-second memory. <laughs> So just about as long as it takes for you to say them, I've already forgotten it. So if I see them on your on you, then I know more what your names are, and that helps me orient a little bit better. Yeah. So thank you for that. Awesome. That's helpful for me. Got something for you. Yeah. That's great. Good gift to Paulina. Thank you.
So, um, a little bit about me, and then I'd like to hear your names in the space. Um, my name is Amatanasanti, and um, my story was I started, or I was introduced to the Dhamma in 1979, and it was kind of like pouring gasoline on a bonfire, you know, it was just like, I was just ignited from the very beginning and felt just um, passionate about the possibility of giving my life to a spiritual path and to the Dhamma. And within a month of hearing the teachings, I had this vision of being a nun. And that vision kept coming back to me for many years. I was at the University of California at Santa Cruz as a freshman. And after a period of time, I... Um, I I went on a pilgrimage to Asia and I ended up in the monasteries in England, the Ajahn Chah Forest Monasteries at Amravati and Chithurst and spent 20 years in those monasteries and then came to this country as an, as an independent monastic and was living in Colorado helping to take care of my father and be there for him in his transition which was an amazing blessing. And then after a period of time, I came to California. And then not that long ago, I, uh, I, it became clear that uh, monastic life was no longer serving both my aspiration for awakening and my aspiration for wholeness. So I relinquished uh, my monastic precepts and I returned to civilian life. And returning to civilian life after being 28 years in the monastery is like a massive coming out ceremony in just about every part of one's life. You know, it just, uh, which is itself a whole story. So I still feel a little bit wet behind the ears with all of that. It's only been a... Well, if I could make this go away, I won't have the timer. It won't bother me too bad. And so, um, uh, so then uh, the fires in Santa Rosa came a couple months after I had returned to civilian life and uh, was very impactful for me personally. And so I've been pulling myself out of the impact ever since. And uh, I'm still in the middle of that journey. I'm not done yet. But I'm definitely in moving towards wealth, well-being, and so that's all good. But the the so for me, the things that have been really important to me are a deep understanding of the truth. But I've also felt a real passion for understanding how these truths are expressed and experienced in our bodies and understanding how the whole of our experience as human beings um, is part of that process. So the core teachings of the Buddha, um, the dependent co-arising, is, is the, like the nexus. If we understand that, we've got it all figured out. <laughs> the problem is, for most of us, that if we try to understand this with our intellect, then it pulls us away from the immediacy of our physical experience 
And so oftentimes what happens is that we end up feeling slightly compartmentalized between trying to have our intellect understanding concepts which often are not, or some of them are not intuitive, and then trying to feel that impact and and understand that on these different levels. So a retreat that I taught that I loved very, very much, and I was actually trying to figure out how to do that here, was to teach co-dependent arising, dependent co-arising, as an insight dialogue relational experience. And that was incredible. Because rather than try and figure it out with our heads, we were understanding it from the experience of being connected and in relationship with each other and watching what was arising in inquiry in that way. For that to happen, it needs at least a week and preferably 10 days. So in three days, we can't fix fit a seven-day size box into a three-day size hole. <laughs> but what I'm intending to do is to have this be as body-based and as relational as I can to help us give us a somatic experience of what this is about because it is really easy to look at these concepts and end up with our brains and pretzels and not having an understanding that is something that we can take away that we know. And when we have an understanding of something that we can take away and know, that's with us wherever we go. Okay? And that's my aim, is to, is to angle it in the direction where we know it rather than can just think about it and have more understanding conceptually. So that would be my aim. And if we have that, then I would say that would be a, a, a real success. You know, if we have a, a little bit more of a capacity to know where this stuff arises and how we feel it in our bodies, it's like, yes, that would be excellent. So um, just by way of cultural context, this is a very rich time for many, many people. You know, Passover is the, is the celebration of the journey from slavery to freedom. Easter is the, is the celebration from crucifixion to resurrection. And Patichu Samapada, or dependent co-arising, is the Buddhist description of slavery and freedom. It's our understanding of where our own internal experience of crucifixion takes place. And it is our map of where we find freedom. So it's fabulous that this teaching is taking place at this particular time because it links together all of these different themes. And if we can open to them in a way where, as I said, we have a sense of of where we know them in our body, in our hearts, rather than just in our intellect, then that will be for our benefit.
and long-lasting well-being. So I have um, started, I've made the initial starting of our communal shrine. This is our communal shrine. So please feel welcome to add anything you want to it. You can add names of people that you would like to be there. You would. You can add things about yourself you would like to be there. You can add um, people or places or aspects of this world that you want to share blessings with. There's no, um, there's no, like right or wrong about how this communal shrine is used, other than for it to be a place where everyone feels that you can put on offerings, um, things from nature, things from your homes, pictures of family members, names of family members, or uh, others that who are in your heart right now. We are we are navigating very challenging times. And for most people, uh, it's impactful uh, getting up in the morning and looking at news and, 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 and realizing some of the things that people are, are dealing with. And so we are not in this alone as separate, isolated lumps. What we feel impacts each other. And as we feel each other, sense each other, get a sense of that, we can hold uh, a collective aspiration to bring the benefits of our practice wherever our heart feels moved. So I have spoken a little bit about me. I, I would, we're a small group. Well, there'll be more people coming. But uh, initially, I would be grateful to hear uh, your name and maybe one small thing about you you'd like us to know, where you're from or what interests you about this retreat. And somebody who's courageous can go first and then we'll just go in a line after that. Do you want to go first? Well, I'm yeah. My name is Veronica. And... Can everyone hear? Um, for the purposes of the recording, ah. people who are listening, it's best if we keep the microphone. Okay. Thank you. Okay, good morning. Uh, my name is Veronica. Uh, uh, what can I say for me? When people ask me where I am from, I say planet Earth, <laughs> because I was born in Mexico. But I live um, in Europe many years. My dad is from Prague. My mom, Mexican. And I am here and blessed to be in this place. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello, everyone. My name is Lindsay. And what I would like to share for myself and why I think I'm here is um, I've, I really appreciated what you said earlier. And I just feel like I'm in the right place because I feel very frozen as um, from like intellect and like logic and I ha- I really want to move into my body and like be with what's here and that's okay if that doesn't happen in three days so thank you Hi, I'm Brooke um, I come from the north county uh, north of here um, I have no idea why I'm here and it's my first time but um, I kind of run on in, intuition sometimes and it came across my uh, 
experience about this place, so I thought I would give it a try. I'm kind of going through some hard times with my son who lost his home uh, during the fire. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that. And he's just had one hard thing after another with his family. And um, maybe that's part of I, I suffer a lot <laughs> watching, you know, my loved ones suffer um, and struggle. And maybe I'll have an answer or not. I don't know, but I'm thinking that I feel right being here. Thank you. Welcome, Brooke. Hi. I think uh, we can all relate to what Brooke just said. <laughs> um, my name is Katie, and I'm from Windsor. And I just came because I've always wanted to learn more about this subject. I took a class in Buddhism a few years ago, and this was like the one thing that really stood out to me that I just couldn't really grasp. And I saw it was a three-day, so we'd have you know extra time because I know it's a big subject. And here I am. Hi, I'm Sandy, and I have been fascinated with the idea of karma and the wheel of life and dependent co-origination um, for years, decades, really. And I found um, that every few years when something like this comes up and I revisit it, I come at, because of life experiences, I understand something more and different. Mm-hmm. Hi, good morning. My name is Olga, and I first discovered Spirit Rock a year ago, and I did a week-long uh, silent retreat here, and I, when I left, um, I felt like the world had slowed down a lot, mm-hmm. and then um, su- suddenly I found, like, my ego was back, and, <laughs> and I was again not knowing how to remember everything I learned. So this is kind of a refresher course, I hope. Hi, everyone. Bruce, Moss Landing is a fishing village equidistant between Monterey and Santa Cruz. Uh, Very low population. It really is a functional fishing harbor. And... uh, I've been pretty much a recluse there for, for many years. I've been kind of anti-people. And I've just made a, making a transition. I'm feeling a bit more and more confident about myself and uh, taking a better interest, a bigger interest in people. Uh, so here I am, rolling myself out and trying to get a little more out of life. Hi, everyone. I'm Jody. Um, I've been practicing for about eight years, and... I have a lot going on in my personal life right now. And I was um, drawn to the idea of going on retreat, but I couldn't quite take a week off of work right now. And so I thought, well, three-day retreat is a nice way to do something a little more in-depth than a day-long. So I was very attracted to this and grateful for that um, opportunity. So thank you. Hi, I'm John, and... uh uh, I guess I've been practicing for five to ten years, something like that. Uh, I have the joy of being in um, 
Temple Smith's intensive, and we've studied dependent origination, and, uh, you know, I have that intellectual confusion about it. Um, but I do see Temple, for example, using it to analyze things in his daily experience. So he he can use that framework to understand some of the things that go on with him in real time. And uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to get a little more somatic understanding to see things happening in this framework based on this retreat. Hi, my name is Linda, and I look forward to the healing aspects of somatically embodying, I hope, more of the understandings of what we will be exploring. Hi, I'm Pam. Um, I've been practicing for uh, over 30 years, and uh, a few of them were a monastic uh, retreat at um, Tassajara Zen Center. And uh, we were studying the dependent origination about, uh, it was about over 20 years ago. And uh, that evening after Zazen, I uh, went out and I was looking at the stars and I had a very liberating experience realizing that I, uh, at the time, was dealing with a lot of anger with my mom and I looked up and I realized I might as well be angry at the stars because we're, we're all a manifestation of everything that ever has been and will be. And it was very liberating for me and um, now I work as a psychotherapist and I see so much suffering that, that everyone has, that myself included, around this um, tight little sense of self, and that's not who we are. And um, I think coming here is going to give me a deeper understanding of, of me, I hope, uh, for myself and how to help other people uh, loosen from that kind of uh, narrow identification uh, with a under, greater understanding of uh, the interdependency of things. Let's go to Jesse, and then we'll go... Oh, I'm sorry. Agnes? No. Um, hi, hi, I'm Agnes, and um, the first time I was at Spirit Rock was about maybe a month ago for a day long, and then I decided to come back for this. Um, I'm new to all of this, pretty much, and... Um, I I have a lot going on, and I hope to find some peace. Thank you. My name is Jesse. Uh, I live in San Rafael. I've been meditating for about a year and coming to Spirit Rock Daylongs for about a year. It's been a great resource for me. And um, I tend to overthink things, so I'm, I'm attracted to the, the somatic experience aspect. Hi, I'm Adrian. Sorry I'm late. No worries. Um, I took this class um, as far as um, being more mindful of coming from a place of grounding of mindfulness. Um, I'm My husband passed away about, uh, I guess, 15 months ago, and... Um, He's from Israel, and I'm going to be going there for a trip um, to, you know, to see primarily his family. I've been um, 
all over Israel. I plan probably to travel, but I want to come from a place of mindfulness with them and not suffering, <laughs> not to be dragged into um, family dynamics and reliving the past with his... Um... So... Um... Coming from love and um, relationships, um, not forcing anything, and being able to speak in a way of boundaries, and um, but in a loving way. Thank you. And then Paulina. My name is Paulina, and I am here because myself, I've, I'm going through um, a moment in which I want to release a lot of the suffering that I've both witnessed and also lived myself. Um, and so I'm here open to whatever I can learn. You can definitely learn something new every day, so I'm here um, and very thankful. So listening to everybody, you can see there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of amount of experience with spirit rock, with meditation, with what we're coming with. You know, all of us are human. We have our bodies, our hearts, and our minds. And no matter the differences of our story, the common theme is is that everybody wants to be happy. And we all have a sense that there might be a pathway in meditation and in, in these teachings that can support us in that direction. And so, you know, we can tag that as this is our hope and our aspiration. And at the end of our time together, we can check in and see, you know, how has it been? How are we? Do we have more sense of ease and well-being and more clarity about how to bring that into our bodies, into our hearts, and into our minds. So I want to start um, by asking that we affirm the refuges and the precepts. Um, the Buddha's refuges is to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And traditionally, taking refuge in the Buddha is a way of Aligning yourself with the Buddha's teachings. Taking refuge in the Dhamma is a way of recognizing that the legacy of the Buddha's teachings are valuable. Taking refuge in the Sangha traditionally is taking refuge in the Aryan Sangha of people who have had direct insight, understand, and have a much more level of confidence, don't get so easily knocked around by the vicissitudes of life and who live with more integrity because they see those connections. For me, taking refuge really is a combination of the traditional way as well as the imminent way 
So whether or not we feel Buddhist, to take refuge in the Buddha is to take refuge in the awakened mind. And you don't have to be Buddhist in order to feel an affinity with the awakened mind. So I do not see that Buddhists have a monopoly on the awakened mind. To take refuge in the Dhamma is to take refuge in the truth of the way things are. And to take refuge in the Sangha is to take refuge in the aspiration to awaken and to take refuge in people who have had direct experience with unshakable truth. And so for me, one of the delicious ironies about taking refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha is that even though it can be used as a way of delineating that we are card-carrying Buddhists, it also is open and is available to anyone independent about whether or not you feel identified and particularly uh, connected to the Buddhist teachings. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, there's this span of our affinity as really believing in the Buddha as a teacher and opening up to the nature of the awakened mind itself. When we look at the precepts, everyone should have a little sheet. Do you have a little sheet? Yeah. So the first precept, you don't have one? I'm good. Okay. She's good. Honoring life, I will cultivate a reverence for all forms of life and refrain from causing harm to others. Honoring stewardship, I will bring mindfulness to the use of the earth's resources and we will respect the property of others and not take that which does not belong to us. We will be honest in our dealings with money and material goods. Honoring healthy sexual relations, I will avoid creating harm through the misuse of sexuality. Honoring honesty, I will speak that which is true and useful and remain from false speech and divisive or harmful gossip. We will remain mindful, clear communication, and bring the quality of loving kindness and caring truthfulness to our speech. Honoring mindfulness, I will refrain from the misuse of intoxicants that cause us heedlessness or loss of awareness. So on one hand, these precepts create an ethical basis so that we can have some sense of safety and relax to know that, you know, people are going to not walk off with my water or my cell phone, that this is not a place for dating, even though there's nothing wrong with dating. And, um, you know, to just give some sense of boundaries so that we can relax and feel comfortable that what we are here to do is is to use this as a time for an inward journey. But as, as a, as a, for me, these precepts are more juicy when they are taken as internal reflections. And so the, the commitment not to harm, when I take that internally, for me not to harm myself, for me to take a time out around all of the patterns that are habitual and so familiar, they're like wallpaper that I don't even see them. 
about self-blame and self-shame and self-judgment and self-criticism and walking out on myself and abandoning myself, that that stuff has got to stop. So when we make an aspiration to stop harming and we take that inwardly as a commitment to stop doing those things to ourself, then we have ground for this practice. When we don't make that commitment, we do not have ground for that practice. The second precept around honesty has to do with the... um, or taking what is not given. Sometimes what we're experiencing is not what we want. Uh, You know, we can be filled with uncomfortable feelings, uncomfortable sensations. Our mind can be tired or or dull, or we can be crabby or cranky for any one of a hundred reasons, and many of them are very valid. And we can sit there thinking, if only... If only I didn't have so much pain, if only I had more energy, if only I wasn't feeling so crabby, then, 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 then I could meditate. So when we take the second precept as an internal commitment, it's like, let's wake up to what we're dealing with. Let's work with what's here. It might not be pleasant, it might not be what we want, but it's what we got. The third precept around our body, our life energies, our sexuality is actually very profound to feel comfortable and at ease with all of that. And so to know that our commitment is to honor and to allow without squelching, without separating, without compartmentalizing, without disallowing, without harming. And that our speech, internally, we experience by the way that we speak to ourselves, the kinds of thoughts that we have. Is it kind? Is it divisive? Is it slanderous? Is it useful? Is it true? So when we take these precepts as a reflection of how I am with myself, then if that was the only thing that we did this weekend, just that, If we stopped harming ourselves, if that was the only thing that happened this weekend, is that we stopped harming ourselves, then we have made a tremendous step in the direction of freedom. Because it is not possible to continue to harm ourselves in the ways that we habitually do and come out with peace and freedom. It has got to stop. The fifth precept around drugs, around drinking, around intoxication. We have a lot more things in the world that we can be intoxicated by than just the things that come in bottles or the substances that we can imbibe through smoking or injecting or ingesting or whatever. And so when we wake up to our addictions and begin to say, what do we need in order to bring this into health and move into a life where we're committed to mindfulness, we have made some progress in giving us the ground 
to make the steps to have the happiness that we all seek. So it isn't just a kind of mumbo-jumbo Buddhist ritual. It's about laying the foundations that create the causes that support our ability to do the work. Not only because we are creating the safety for each other, but because we're making the commitment in ourselves to engage in a way where we take a really sincere and determined step to refrain from actions that don't serve us in any way. So, I think reading the precepts is enough unless you'd like to... Does it... Let me just check. Does it feel helpful to read them together? Is that a good thing? Yes, no? Yes. Not, not yes? yes? Okay. So what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of the mantra. Um, on page three of your chanting book is a namotasa mantra. And I want to do, do two mantras. The namotasa mantra and the second mantra. And um, chanting is not something that happens a lot in the Vipassana community and happens a lot in traditional communities. And chanting, if you're not familiar with it, can be both um, aggravating and wonderful. It can be aggravating because it's not what we're used to, and it can be wonderful because there's a way in which just letting the sound and the vibration and the the simple meaning of the words open us up to be resonating together is another way of letting the teachings in. And so there's a lot of teachings that are just chanted, And the chanting can be a way where through sound and through music and through song we can let these things seep into our systems and get them in a somatic way. So the chanting is a a body-based way of knowing something. So if you feel at ease, and this feels lovely for you, or if you feel courageous to try something that is unfamiliar to you, join in when it feels uh, comfortable. So we'll do the first one a few times, for, and then we'll do the second one. Mortasa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Sambuddhasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Sambuddhasa Namodhasa
Vasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samudasa Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Dasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa I've got my little bell back there. I'm going to go get it. So, oh, you got? Can you get it? It's the it's on the back thing. Thank you. So this next mantra chant was Ajahn Chah's favorite mantra, and the Pali is on top, and the English translation is on the bottom. And nibbana is the Buddhist word for complete freedom, complete peace, and so. Um, To the Buddha, to the awakened mind, I go for refuge, giving my life to realize Nibbana, or complete peace. To the Dhamma, to the truth of the way things are, I go for refuge, giving my life to realize complete peace. To the Sangha, the aspiration to awaken, I go for refuge, giving my life to realize complete peace. So we can do that a couple times. So we start with the English, we do the Pali, and then we go back to the English. And when we go from Budang, Damang to Sangang, I will make a little bell. So at the Gachami, I will make a bell when we transition. We'll do this a few times, and then we'll finish. Okay? So we start with English. To the Buddha I go for refuge. Giving my life to realize Nibbana. To the Dhamma I go for refuge. Giving my life to realize Nibbana. To the Sangha I go for refuge. Giving my life to realize Nibbana. Budang de chiwidang yawani banang saranga chamitamang de chiwidang yawani banang saranga chamisangang de chiwidang yawani banang saranga chamipudang. Saranangachami Dhamang 
你生安美之为当，要我你把难，生人安个家名不当，美之为当，要我你把难，生人安个家名的忙，美之为当，要我你把难。Saranangga chami sanggang mejiwidang yawani panang saranangga chami. To the Buddha I go for refuge, giving my life to realize nibbana. To the Dhamma I go for refuge, giving my life to realize Nibbana. To the Sangha I go for refuge, giving my life to realize Nibbana. We can read this together, and I gave Romy a copy of things that the English was not correct, which is perfect. We have I in one sentence and we in the next sentence, so we can switch all the we's to I's. Perfectly imperfect. <laughs> That's my signature in life. <laughs> Honoring life, I will cultivate a reverence for all forms of life and refrain from causing harm to others. Honoring stewardship, I will bring mindfulness to the use of the earth's resources. I will respect the property of others and not take that which does not belong to me. I will be honest in my dealings with money and material goods. Honoring sex, sexual relations, I will avoid creating harm through the misuse of sexuality. Honoring honesty, I will speak that which is true and useful, and refrain from false speech and divisive or harmful gossip. I will cultivate mindful, clear communication, and bring the quality of loving kindness and careful truthfulness to my speech. Honoring mindfulness, I will refrain from the misuse of intoxicants that cause me heedlessness or loss of awareness. Okay. So uh, I'd like to invite um, people to stand up. Get up here. It makes it a little bit easier for you to see me.
And so uh, what I'd like to do, first of all, anytime we're standing, if there's anything that's happening for you that feels like it's not well for you, it's not good for you to be standing, then please trust yourself and just return to a sitting posture. I don't know, you know, all of us have got body stuff of one form or another, and I don't know your body stuff, but you do. So make sure you take care of yourself. So what I'd like to do now is to do some body movement, some qigong exercise, some energy medicine exercises as a way to support us to come into our body. And if you need to be sitting, please feel welcome to sit. And as you are able to follow, either with movements of your arm or just allowing your attention to imagine doing these movements, follow along with us. So, touching your knees and moving your knees in a clockwise direction. Just feel your knees. Now in a counterclockwise direction. Standing up and moving your hips. Counterclockwise way. Now taking your hand over your heart and moving your hands in a clockwise direction. counterclockwise direction. Taking your hands over your head and interlocking your fingers and letting your hands push up, down and push up. Now, in front of you, circle your hands. Opening up your shoulder joints. 
And if you are able to bend forward and push down towards the ground, and then moving towards your left side, pushing down towards the ground, and moving towards your right side, and pushing down towards the ground. Now, take your foot out and take your elbows and circulate your elbows so that you've got your hands rotating here on your foot. Top of your foot pointing up. Now brush your leg down. And pat your leg down. And now come forward and to your left side. Elbows. Brush your leg down. Pat your leg down. And standing up. I'm going to wallop the the shrine. Put one foot forward, the other foot back, and rotate your shoulders. Your arms. Turn and the other direction. And now chest and kidney slaps. And turning forward. Okay, I want to show you something. Um, and Qigong, Qigong, Qigong masters are people who have the ability to bring qi and move it through their bodies. So I want you to try something. Bring your hands together and rub them. Rub them faster. Rub them harder. Rub them faster. 
and harder. And now pull them away. Can you feel the tingling? Can you feel the kind of the rubber band feeling? That sense of, the, can you feel that, that tingling? Yeah, you can feel the tingling. So that's a physical signature of chi. Okay? So we can use that. Chi means energy. Okay. So we can use the energy and we can move it through our body. And as we do, we can experience more vitality. And also, we have a different way of understanding what some of these things mean that we will be talking about. When our bodies don't feel so dense when we feel them more from the energy. So what I'd like to do is to invite you to rub your hands again. And now let the energy that's tingling between your hands become like a magnet and using breath, bring up and down. With the in-breath, let it come up. Out breath, let it come down. So we can imagine the energy coming through our feet. Up and on the out breath, down. So the more soft and subtle our joints are, the easier it is for this energy to flow through our body. Breathing in. Now allow this energy to move in and up and reach out to the sky. And breathing in from the sky and down to the earth. the sky down. And now, extending and drawing an arrow across your chest. And on the other side, again, and breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. And now, allowing this chi energy to extend up to the heaven and down to the earth. 
relaxing in our middle and extending through the other side. And again, breathing in, out, out, And now this one is really good for stagnant liver and all kinds of other things. Breathing in and focusing the energy in one's uh, lower area. Breathing out with the eyes open and a big noise and making a loud hissing sound. Breathing in and out. And out. It's really good to get the irritation and the resistance out of one's system and the kind of travel and traffic and bridges. And sometimes these breathing exercises help. So now what we want to do is just tap gently, just like raindrops on our forehead, on our neck, on our chest, on our arms, abdomen, on our legs, down to our feet. And then when we're bending over, we can use our hips, hands, and gently pound our hips. Gently pound our kidney area. And standing up. And just notice, notice when you stand up now, how your body feels. level of density, the level of movement of the level of pain, the level of comfort, the level of warmth. So when we activate our bodies, 
different than when we don't. Letting your weight sink into the floor. Relax your shoulders. Relax your back. Relax your arms. your abdomen. Pelvis and your pelvic floor. Relax your legs. Relax your feet. Relax your fingers and your hands. your forearm. Shoulders melt. Relax your neck. Jaw. Your chewing muscles. Relax your tongue. Relax your smiling muscles. Relax your forehead. Relax your whole scalp. And relax the base of your skull. Breathing in, let that energy move through your whole body. Relax, release, let go. And with the same level of care and curiosity and interest and feeling your body, change your posture and come to sitting.
we are supported by taking a little bit of time and care with our sitting posture. We are supported when the top of our hips are slightly in front of our sitting bones. And if we're on a cushion, sometimes we need to fiddle the height that's underneath our hips. And when we're sitting on a chair, sometimes we are supported by sitting on the front edge of the chair. And allow yourself to just rock gently, forward and back, on your pelvis. And you can notice that as you get forward, you come to a place where the pull of gravity requires your stomach muscles to contract a little bit, to hold you from falling. And when you lean back, you can notice that your back muscles and your stomach muscles contract in order to keep you from falling. Make the rocking small enough don't feel like you're pulled forward or falling back Just allow the breathing breathing in to support this very gentle and very subtle rocking on your pelvis. And this movement helps us unfreeze. It's very regulating. It's deeply soothing. Very gentle, subtle rocking. The more that we are unfrozen, the more that we have available to us. our body. So as magnificent as the teachings are, the temple we practice them is in our body, our heart, and our mind. And every feeling that we have in our body every thought that we have in our mind, there is a somatic signature in our body. So as we contemplate, relate, engage with our body as the temple, as the sanctuary, as the cathedral, as the great Dhamma Hall,
This is where we can know for ourselves what is true.
When you're new to meditation, it's helpful to keep your attention the body and the breath. Just the simple experience of breathing in and out. For many of us, in the beginning of a retreat, it can take us some time before our minds settle. And it's easeful to stay with the body and the breath. Often there's thoughts, there's images, there's feelings, and there's plans. And we can invite all of that to pause for now. Not for forever, but just for for now. And the way we invite it to pause is just to simply reconnect with the body and the breath. To turn attention towards the body and the breath with a gentle, loving, embracing.
It's helpful just to touch the body and the breath. To reconnect with the rocking. A very gentle, subtle rocking. Hardly perceptible, yet deeply regulating and soothing. Staying with the breath without controlling it, forcing it. Continuing to invite relaxation in areas that are tense or tight.
We have uh, 20 minutes for walking meditation, which also includes a time for you to have a bio break. And for anyone who is new to walking meditation, please feel welcome to stay behind and I'll give some instruction. For those of you for whom that's familiar, please feel welcome to leave and to find a place where you feel comfortable walking, either inside or outside in this lovely weather. We're going to be eating at 12.30, so in 45 minutes. So we'll come back here and we'll have a little bit of time. I'm going to give a very brief Dharma talk, and then we'll be eating at 12.30. Yes, the important things. It's good to know when the important things are happening. (laughs) For an hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, with walking meditation, walking meditation is really wonderful. Because it's another way of activating our body. And so, especially in these first, this first settling in time of a retreat where our bodies are usually dense and in a lot of pain, uh, it's helpful, whatever we can do, to help our bodies come online, to feel them, to feel them energize. So walking meditation is a particular asset. And I was just speaking with um, one of my students who's on a month-long retreat. And, you know, in the, in the Vipassana world, there's the emphasis back and forth, like here at Spirit Rock. There's a regular instruction with walking meditation that's really helpful. But oftentimes, when we think about meditation, we think about sitting. You know, our association is meditation is about sitting. But in the forest tradition in Thailand, there's monasteries where there's very little sitting. There's mostly just walking. And so people can walk in different ways. There can be the, the, just, the, just the regular speed. And when I'm walking in the speed, I feel my feet. I feel the movement. I feel the breath. Sometimes when our energy is stagnant, we're sleepy or we're slow or there's some kind of stiffness in our body, sometimes it's helpful to move fast. And when we move fast, we need like a long pathway and just go as fast as you can. Just feeling the touch point of the feet on the earth and the movement of the body and the, and the, and the coolness on the eyes. Come to the stopping point at the edge of the path and stop and turn. And then come back. And at every stopping point, just notice that you're stopping and just make a deliberate intention to turn. So there's also very slow walking, and this very slow walking is helpful when there's a lot of thoughts. And what we want to do is we want to put together our breathing and our footsteps. So we breathe on the inhalation, and we move and shift weight on the exhalation. 
So we slow way down to accommodate our breathing rather than make our breathing accommodating our walking. And in this, what we're just wanting to do is to let our attention settle, to feel what's happening, to be with our body and the physical experience of connecting with the earth and letting ourselves relax. Are there any questions? No? Okay. So can we have a bell in, at, uh, in 15 minutes? Yeah, thank you. 15? Thank you. Uh, they'll ring it around. They'll ring it outside. I think. Will you bring the bell outside? Yeah. Yeah.
What I'd like to do is to just to give a brief talk, and then when I finish the talk, there'll be a time for some questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the um, teachings that the Buddha gave was the, the, the teachings on the foundations of mindfulness. And in this teaching, it, there's a lot in it. There's a lot in that teaching. And the first foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha spoke about was the foundation of, of working with the body. And the, that working with the body itself is not a simple thing we can we can work with it by paying attention to our breath we can work with it by paying attention to our posture we can we can work with our body by understanding the elements that are in it or the constituent parts of it we can work with our body through um, just the general like things that are happening in life like getting a cup of tea or going to the toilet or or putting our clothes on, or taking a shower, the, the kinds of normal things that we do in our life. And we can, we can contemplate our body also by contemplating what happens as we die. And all of these contemplations in, in, in looking at the body are a way to help us or, orient and to help us allow our attention to settle and connect with the fact that this here this here is something that is a big part of our life our experience and it has a big impact on what's going on in the mood in our mind moods and also our thoughts and so when we we spend time and take care when we learn how to bring attention to our bodies in a way where our our minds settle then what happens is is that the body then becomes energized or activated or uh, supportive 
in our path of inquiry. Now, one of the things that was interesting for me, Ajahn Pasano is the abbot of Abhayagiri, and he took a group of of, uh, long-term practitioners on a trip to Thailand to meet with some of the, to to visit some of the, the monasteries and to meet with some of the meditation masters. And one of the meditation masters who was highly accomplished, you know, they were asking him questions about, you know, what was difficult for you and your path. And he said that the, one of the things that was the most difficult for him was just the amount of attachment he experienced to his body, the amount of identification and the attachment that, that this is who and what I am. And so when we think that, that this is who and what I am, then every little everything that's happening, you know, becomes um, very important. It becomes uh, concerning or exciting or disappointing or scary or terrifying or because when this is who and what I am, this is vulnerable. And there's a limited amount of what I can do to protect myself and there's all kinds of things that are out of my control. And, you know, any of us who are navigating some of the challenges that we're navigating with, like, you know, for myself, with having gone through the fires, there was a really, really big impact and I'm still coming out of it. And so certainly part of what happened was is that my body was impacted and the combination of the body impact then impacted my mind. And so there was a combination of impacts that all come together. And then it becomes a sandwich. And then the sandwich then becomes very difficult to kind of pull apart because it's like with glue, it's sticky, it's all kind of tight together. So what we're wanting to do is to begin to see if we can start massaging some of the ingredients of this and and letting the whole thing relax and open and soften. And so when we start with our bodies, when we start with the breath, when we start with some simple exercises just to begin to get things moving a little bit more, we start to feel our physical body experience here, then we begin to start recognizing that this is a place where we can bring our attention. And that as we bring our attention to our body, we can notice the impact. Now, when our body has not had a lot of exercise or has physical things going on or where we don't have a lot of easeful access to it, it actually cannot be very comfortable when we first bring our attention to our body. It can feel dense, it can feel heavy, it can feel painful. And we can think, I don't want to pay attention to my body. You know, that's the last thing. I I don't want to put my attention where it hurts. That's the last thing I want to do. But there's this a gentle um, way of not disallowing our experience, but, but allowing, seeing if that there's a way in which through a gentle connection with what's going on, things can begin to start to, how they can shift, how they can change. And, you know... I'm with you. You know, I've had decades of health problems and there's just times when it just is really difficult. It's just really difficult. It's difficult. Bodies can be very painful. And so there can be a longing to 
put our attention any place else except our body because it just feels so uncomfortable. And there's advantages and disadvantages to that, you know. But the without going into a, a big, long digression about all of that, one of the reasons why when we pay attention to our body it can be helpful is that in addition to the physical discomfort we can experience, we can also be experiencing resistance and tightness. So it's the reaction to the discomfort which can be as much or greater than the physical discomfort itself. And that reaction can cause more tightness and more tension. And that as we learn to relax that, then then what happens is is that there can be more basis for ease and well-being in our bodies. And as there is more basis of ease and well-being in our body, then, then, then that whole experience can shift. And we have to take it gently, particularly when we're dealing with, you know, stuff that's really difficult painful feelings, body sensations that are very unpleasant. Or sometimes for people there's just a very little ability to sense or feel into what's going on in the body. And, and there can be many reasons for that. And, and, and it's important not to push, not to force, not to, not to demand we do something that just does not feel right. So we can be curious about why it doesn't feel right and and see if our if what's going on for us is is coming from something that needs to be honored or whether it's maybe not just a habit that's not so helpful so we can be curious about it but the buddha gave the first foundation of mindfulness as the body because there are some things about paying attention to the body that are really, really, really helpful. One is is that the body has no capacity to live in the past or live in the future. It is only what's happening right now. And that is really helpful because we can see what goes on with our minds and the way that we get tangled up into stories that happened in the past and then we anticipate what's going to happen in the future and the combination of what happened in the past that triggers what's going to happen in the future means that the where we are right now can be agitated. And if we bring it back to the immediacy of what's going on, I'm sitting on my cushion, my knees are a little bit uncomfortable, you know, there's a couple of things that I hear that are just slightly irritating, but right now, it's actually okay. So when I'm in the present moment, it's a different experience than taking something that happened in the past and projecting it into the future. There's more capacity to be with what's going on when we are just in the present with it. And that is a tremendous support. So coming back into the present moment. So I was speaking with one of my mentees just yesterday. And what's been happening for her is that she's got a show that she and her wife are going to. So there's planning 
and preparations and packing and traveling, she found out that there's all kinds of things to do with taxes that are scary because she owes a lot more money than she could imagine she ever had to owe. And she's got health things that tend to navigate so that what happens with her is, is that when she gets past a certain level of stress, then all of the health stuff kind of comes out. So it's like anxiety has a tag on it. And that when you have one thing that's causing a little bit of anxiety, it sends out a party invitation for all the other things that have ever existed that have that same tag. And they all come out to dance. And so you have this anxiety festival when it's not as if there are not things that are there that are that are anxiety producing but what is needed is a lot of skill in how to navigate that and one of the ways of being tremendously skillful is by giving yourself a very very short leash that just is connected to what's going on in your body right now. How does your breath feel? What's happening in your feet? What's going on in your fingers? What does it feel like in the nape of your neck? What does it feel like behind your ears? Where are the places in your body that feel comfortable? What happens when you focus on them? And that when you focus on them, does it get bigger? When you focus on the things that are going on in your body that feel comfortable, does it make it expand? So what we want to learn how to do is is that where we focus our attention has actually a very, very, very big impact on what we experience. And what we do with what we're experiencing determines our reality. So we can feel like things are really tough. And in some ways they might be. But how we relate to that experience is going to have a huge impact on what our experience of reality actually is. So the body... Learning to be with the body, learning to be with the body in a way which is kind, which is skillful, which is useful, which is helpful, which is clear, which is understanding what it is to have a body. Can help us settle. So life happens. (laughs) Even in retreat centers, life happens. Yeah. Let me just finish and then I'll open it up for some questions. Yeah. So when we bring our attention to our body, when we spend some time exercising and moving and energizing and working with the energy and then being able to then sit with it and then notice what we're happening, one of the things that we can notice is that our body is a place where we can experience the results of our thoughts and the impact of our emotions.
And so the body is a place where we can have connection with our heart and our mind. And it is less sticky because with our body, the physical sensations, it doesn't have the same kind of sticky glue as our thoughts and the stories that are usually fueling our thoughts. So let me pause here and see if there's any questions that come up. Agnes had a question earlier. Nevada means peace. Thank you. And you, you, you know, one of the things that I didn't say when I handed these out, these are not for you to take home. Oh, they were they were things that came from another retreat and so and so they they didn't have the wherewithal to do all of this printing and and so i i've brought them as a as a support for our retreat and so and so i have them here for us to borrow and it was my lack of clarity that i didn't make it clear from the onset So the Dharma means the truth. Okay. So Buddha is both the historical Buddha and the Buddha is the represents what the Buddha means is the awakened mind. Okay. So it says to the Buddha Yes. Okay. And then I just The dependent origination are the dependent or codependent arising is the things, the many things that are needed in order for peace and the many things that are, happen when we get ourselves into pickles and we feel uncomfortable and miserable. So, it's... so there's the positive cycle that leads us to freedom. And then there's the negative cycle which leads us to suffer. And so most of the time what happens for us is that we're in a black box and that the outside of the box we realize that we feel terrible. And so dependent co-arising or codependent arising or patichu samapada are all three different ways of saying that there are very specific things, causes and conditions that give rise to why things happen in a particular way. And when we understand what those things are and we understand where we can focus our attention, then we have more choice. Ordinarily what happens is that we find ourselves suffering we have absolutely no idea how we got there. And we're miserable, and we think everything around us is to blame. Because it certainly has nothing to do with me. I didn't get myself here. And so our focus is outward on all of the things that made me miserable. And we forget 
that there were specific things that happened and choices in those specific things that happened and the combination of what arose and our choices and the way we related to those choices is usually how we get to where we're at. So this retreat is about taking apart the black box, about putting light in the black box, about seeing the specific things that help us, that bring us to where we're at. Dependent co-arising is the classical way that it's translated. Okay, dependent co-arising. And it co-arises with what I did? So it's, it's, this is not a simple teaching. Okay, I, 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 yeah, this is not a simple teaching. Is, is that what everything that we experience, we we don't see all of the links of how we ended up where we're at. Usually, what happens is all we see is where we're at. Okay, and so this is about looking at the specific components that help us get to where we're at. Okay, I get that, but I don't get the language. So. They don't arise spontaneously. They arise dependent on different on each other. So the links are dependent on different links. So it's called the the twelve links of dependent origination, and each link is dependent on the preceding link, and each subsequent link is dependent on the previous ones in order for there to be there. I will I will tell it. Yeah. And because it's a complicated teaching, I'm wanting to do it in a pace that is equal to what is helpful. Because the teachings are complex and it's easy. It's really easy to give you a whole bunch of words but not to have it make a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't want to do it like that. Okay. Okay? So I'd like to give enough words that it can actually make sense. And what I'm hoping to do is for it to link together with both your physical experience, your body experience, as well as maybe connecting with each other. So what I'm hoping to do today is to spend the day simple with body with breath, with feeling, okay? Just simple. And then tomorrow we will start with inquiry and we'll get into some more of like the juicy, rich meatiness of all of this and the same on Sunday. So we're going to keep it simple and keep it the themes just related to the first and second foundation today. And then tomorrow and on Sunday, we will open it up and have a little bit more. But until our minds settle and our bodies have the capacity, then if I put too many concepts in, it's like 
it's not very good result. It doesn't have a good result. So it's lunchtime now, and we have an hour break for lunch. A- a- Adrian, you had a question? I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, we're grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I was taking... So what I would like to invite anybody here is that, uh, because who knows what's going on with any of our bodies, is for you to take care of yourself And you are always welcome to stand up. And you're welcome to walk quietly in the back of the hall. It's quieter for everyone if the doors are not opening and closing during our sitting meditation, because that can be a little bit unsettling. So if it's possible to stay in the room, then that would be my invitation. And to just notice what you notice... One of the things that's helpful is to notice whether the fear that we're experiencing is coming because of anticipating something that may arise in the future, or whether it's coming because we have a sense that what we're doing isn't helpful for us. So one kind of sense... Is, is tuning in to what's going on for our body, and our, we're, our body is telling us that what we're doing is too much, and the other is anticipating something that may result in the future. And that kind of fear about a thought that is projected into the future, to see what happens if it's possible just to come back to what's happening now, And as long as what's happening now feels okay for you, to stay with that. Does that make sense? So you're going to know how you need to take care of yourself and trust that. And so my, my request is that as you take care of yourself also, that there's some attention to what we're doing here. Yeah.
Any other questions? Are you okay? Yeah? All right. It's 12.36. We'll have an hour break uh, for lunch. We'll see you at uh, 1.40. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Let's begin again with some meditation. And so if your body is better supported with a, a different posture, you're invited to take whatever you need in order to shift so that you can be settled for a half an hour. Just coming back into silence and allowing your body to come back into a posture that's relaxed, upright, reconnecting with that gentle rocking motion, that very, very subtle rocking motion if you're sitting up, that just helps let the nervous system relax and settle. And it's really helpful to stay awake. So if you're lying down and you tend to drift off, it's really helpful just to stay, stay awake. So if you're noticing that it's hard to stay awake, the invitation would be to see if you could shift the posture a little to help support that wakefulness. And first thing is just noticing what's happening right now in your body. What's the quality of density or heaviness in your body?
So what can happen is that we can notice for a moment and then our attention slips off into dullness or into thought or into something else. And so gently, very gently. Gently. Refocusing attention on the breath, on the body. So persistence and patience, staying with the body, staying with the breath. 
softening around tension. and relaxing the desire or wanting things to be a particular way.
Sometimes when you're sleepy, it's helpful to put more effort or emphasis on the in-breath and to allow your eyes to look upwards.
Standing up. And taking our hands and interlocking them and pushing up towards the sky. And over to one side. And over to the other side. Pushing up. And releasing the hands and taking one over the other and rotating over the heart. And reversing hands and going the other direction. And grabbing hold of the knees and moving them in a clockwise direction. And in a counterclockwise direction. So the first foundation of mindfulness is about awareness of body. So we can be aware of our body and our posture and the sensations in our body. We can feel our breath. This is all relying on the first foundation of mindfulness. And we can stand up and rotate our hips. And the other direction. And we can let our legs spread out and lean onto the bent leg and just feel the stretch in the leg. Just as the hips and the thighs open up and then point towards the foot and extend out with the hand opening up the chest. 
Now shift weight and move to the other foot. Opening up the leg, stretching the leg. And just noticing as we move body how the mind changes. Amount of energy available to us changes. Pointing towards the foot with the leg stretched, extending out the arm and opening the chest. And now bringing the weight forward and brushing up on the inside of the leg. Bringing the feet together. And brushing up from the fingers towards the shoulders. And then down on the underside of the arm. And then from the fingers up towards the shoulders. And from the underside of the arm. And now massaging the temples. And massaging the point at the corner of the eye. And massaging the edges of the nose. And the lips. The other side. And the outside of the ear. And the inside of the ear. And the neck. And the other side of the neck. And then just the throat. And the other side. And again, bringing the foot out to one side and taking one's elbows and making circles with the elbows. And brushing the feet, the legs down. And then patting. And turning to the other side. Elbows. And brushing down. And patting. And now breathing in and letting your arms extend over your head and breathing in and letting your arms come down to your legs.
Breathing in. Out. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. Breathing in, extending to one side. Out, extending to the other side. And then if you are able, bending over and just relaxing, releasing and letting go in this bending over posture. And taking your fists and gently pounding your hips on the outside of your hips and the middle of your back and your sacrum and coming up. So mindfulness of body is knowing what's happening in our body, the posture of our body, the sensations of our body. That's the first foundation of mindfulness. And any thought we have, any mood we have, any emotion we have, there's going to be a physical component of it. And so learning how to be with our body how to soothe, how to settle, how to energize, how to calm, how to relax. Bodies, how to rest our bodies, how to increase our capacity for rest and relaxation. They are all very important tools. Second foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha instructed us in was the foundation of feeling. And this feeling is not the same as the emotions that we normally have. This feeling is the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So we can be with our feet and notice, are they pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? You can be with your fingers Pay attention. Just allow your attention to be in your fingers and notice. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? You can allow your attention to move to the nape of your neck. And notice, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? You can allow your attention to move to your shoulders. And notice, is it pleasant? 
Is it unpleasant? Or is it neutral? And so in this way, we can move through our body and with every sensation that we are aware of, we can check and see, is this a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral sensation? And just bring awareness to that. Now the curious thing is when it's pleasant, We usually want more of it. And when it's unpleasant, we usually like to get rid of it. And when it's neutral, usually we space out, we get distracted, we start daydreaming. We start fantasizing the trip that we've always wanted or the bucket lists that we've got. And the truth is, is that there's a lot of things in life that are neutral. And the more we have the capacity to be present for them, the more our color, our our life, turns from a two-dimensional world to a three-dimensional world, filled with all kinds of experiences that we weren't even noticing, because they were neutral like the feeling of the touch of your clothing against your skin or your eyelids on your eyes or the wetness in your mouth or the movement of air. So when we notice that when there's pleasant sensation, we want more of it. And when there's unpleasant or painful sensation, we want to get rid of it. And when there's neutral sensation, we space out or daydream. Then right there, we have an opportunity. When it's pleasant, to just relax a little bit around wanting. And when it's unpleasant, to get a little bit more spacious. Around our not wanting. And when it's neutral, to get a little bit more curious about the nuances of neutral. So we can notice this in our bodies, and this is helpful. And part of the reason why it is so helpful, because all of the million, billion different things that we can experience, they all boil down to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. 
And pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral are a lot simpler to be with. A lot less compelling than the stories around all of the different manifestations of the way things show up. And so oftentimes we can feel really intimidated by painful sensation. We've got to do something. We've got to fix it. We've got to make it okay. We've got to not have that painful sensation. But one option is to notice that it's a painful sensation. And, and to relax around not wanting And when we relax around not wanting, there's more spaciousness. We have more choices. We have more freedom. So we can notice after standing for a while, when we first got up, it might have felt like a relief because we were sitting. And then after standing for a while, it changes. And here we've been standing for a few minutes, and it might change again. It might have gone from pleasant. There might have been neutral. It might be unpleasant. And so we can allow our attention to turn towards Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Not so that we disconnect from our well-being, so that we lose contact with what we need for wellness, but as a way of giving us more space, more choice. So when we see these things, when we see that the body is like this and that we have feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and they're like that, and that when we have certain feelings, pleasant feelings, we want them. We want them to stay. Unpleasant feelings, we don't want them. We want them to go. Neutral feelings, it's hard to stay awake for neutral feelings. This is the cause and effect. These are the things that give rise. These are the links in a chain of causality. Body gives rise to feeling. Feeling gives rise to wanting and not wanting. And we can know this as our direct experience. It's not something that we need to think too hard about. We can see it happening just as we're standing, just as we're moving. So dependent origination is looking at the way these things are all connected. 
so that we have more choice about where we focus our attention and how we relate to the result. So let's return to sitting posture. And it's always helpful when you sit down to just take some moments so that your body is upright and relaxed. There's enough height underneath your hips if you're sitting on the floor. That you check to see if you're sitting on the edge of the chair. It will support you to be upright with the least possible muscle tension in your back. You need to get a cushion under your feet so your feet can fit flat on the ground. This time we can again go through the body. We can start with our attention at the top of our head. So there's the physical sensation at the top of our head. And then we can notice, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Just for the moment, letting go of our opinion about how it is supposed to be. And just being with how it is. An invitation for it to be just exactly how it is. And moving attention to the forehead. So the invitation is to welcome what's present in the forehead. Sensations or pressure or density or feeling of movement of energy or pulsing or hot or cold. And noticing, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? When it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, sometimes our thinking will go into a why. What's happening? Is this related to something that I did last week or yesterday? And we can pause our associations. Not because they have no value, but just as, a, as an exercise of being present with feeling and seeing what happens when our attention is focused on something simpler. Move from the forehead to the jaw. Notice if, if there's feeling sensations in the jaw, And are they pleasant? Are they unpleasant? Are they neutral? 
and moving from the jaw to the throat. Seeing, sensing, is the sensation pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And moving from the throat and the jaw down to the top of the chest, just uh, the top of the chest over the heart area. Can you sense what's happening at the top of the chest over the heart area? And it might be that there's not a lot that you feel, and you can notice that. Again, just check and see what you do feel. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or is it neutral? Bringing attention to the whole area of the diaphragm underneath the ribcage. Noticing the movement with the breathing, breathing in and breathing out. And as you are attending, present with the breathing in and breathing out. They're pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. Bringing attention to the lower abdomen. It's not that long after lunch. There might be still quite a lot of feeling and sensation in the lower abdomen. Pleasant. Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Legs from the hips down to the ankles. Notice 
Whatever sensations are present in the legs, See if you can discern if it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. and the feet. And you feel your feet. What do your feet feel like? Are they tucked underneath your legs or are they on the floor or are they on a cushion? Can you feel the texture? Feet. And is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Now, once again, bringing your attention up to the top of your head, and this time we're going to move the attention to the back of the head. And just noticing at the back of the head what's there. Can you feel anything there? It's okay if you don't feel anything. Just notice that you don't feel anything. And being attentive to whatever is there. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? from the back of the head to the neck. In. Curious, inquiring, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and the shoulders. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And just noticing when it's pleasant, what happens? When it's unpleasant, what happens? Is there more tension in your body around unpleasant? And is that tension coming from the sensation 
are coming from your reaction to the sensation. When things are neutral, is it easy to be with them or hard to be with them? Why is that? How come? What's happening? Our body is our laboratory. It's our temple. It's our place of practice. It's our place of inquiry. We see all of this stuff playing out right here and now. Just watching what's going on in our body. All of the teachings, we can see them here. Bringing attention to our back. Noticing, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? When it's pleasant, what happens? When it's unpleasant, what happens? There's the physical sensation. There's the feeling. And then there's the reaction. Bringing attention to the hips. Sacrum and the whole lower part of our torso. Bringing attention to our fingers. Feeling our fingers. What's going on in our fingers? Pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? And up our arms.
now scanning the whole body from the top of the head down to the soles of the feet. And any time a sensation arises, just allow your attention to receive it in awareness, a non-judgmental awareness. Recognize it, know it, and then ask yourself, is it pleasant, is it unpleasant, or is it neutral? So let's take a half an hour, and I would like to invite 20 minutes of that to be walking meditation, and at least, and then 10 minutes if you need a cup of tea and to use the bathroom and things like that. Okay? 
So we'll be back here at 20 past. So can we have a bell at a quarter past? Thank you.
she just she knows what she's doing.
So I want to speak a little bit about the frame of the Buddhist teachings and then uh, see if I can uh, weave a little bit about what we're doing with the, with the breaking up the specifics and how it fits together in a bigger picture. Um, when the, the Buddha taught, often he spoke about the importance of cultivating um, sila, samadhi, and panya, the, the integrity and the focus of the mind before there was an ability to have much clarity or wisdom. So when we started this by affirming the refuges and the precepts, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating and reinforcing what you already have in your practice around living a life of integrity. And when we live a life of integrity, what we do is we create the causes and the conditions that give rise for a lack of regret, a lack of remorse, and a more sense of ease and comfort and confidence in the way we move forward. And certainly we know that if ever we do things that are really big mistakes, we say things that we terribly regret, or we do things that are have a lack of integrity, you know, it, it, it takes a long while for that stuff to process out of our systems. And when we sit still, it's, it's like this. So our ability to live with integrity has a direct result on our capacity to focus our mind, and our ability to be still and quiet and see things clearly then has a strong impact on our ability to see the connections between things and to be able to take apart stuff that feels like it's a conglomerate and to be able to see the pieces that are in it. So a lot of times our world, we live it a little bit like we're living in a black box. We don't quite know how we got there. We don't quite know how to get out. And so what these teachings are is to give us a pathway where it shows What are the ingredients that support getting into the black box and what are the ingredients that support getting out of the black box? Where are the light switches that you can turn on and where are the things that we can focus on that help give us the next step? So it wasn't random that we started the retreat affirming the refuges and the precepts. When we, when we start with the refuges, we, we connect ourselves to something that is vast, that's bigger, that's timeless from the beginning. And that gives us perspective with the things that are arising that are challenging. When we affirm the precepts, when we affirm a life of integrity, then we're creating the causes that give rise for both being able to focus the mind as well as not having regret or remorse. And so those both are very conducive and supportive for being able to see clearly. So integrity supports our being able to settle and still our minds and focus. The focus lets us be able to see the pieces of the thread and which ones are in a knot and how to start unraveling it so that the whole thing is not this tight-woven complexity of agitation, of suffering, of anxiety. We have some more space, we have some more movement, we have some more choice. Yeah? You good with all that? So let me speak a little bit about the Buddha's teachings and then tie it together with what we're doing here and see if it makes some sense. 
So um, the Buddha was born as human being. He was a prince in a, a kingdom in India. And um, his father, King Suwodana, was determined that he should live a life with as little suffering as possible. And in spite of having a dad who's like that, and in spite of, in spite of being an heir to a throne, and in spite of living in a very beautiful place, guess what? There's a certain amount of suffering that people experience. And so he had contact with aging. He saw somebody who was sick. He, he saw a procession of somebody who was in a funeral pyre. And it was really impactful because as much as his father had tried to protect him, these fundamental basic truths in life uh, still exist. And he was impacted in coming into contact in realizing that there was nothing in his family or in his privilege or in his wealth that was going to protect him from this for himself. And he had nothing that was going to protect his family from these basic truths. And so there was some feeling of everything that he had, you know, the the pleasure, the privilege, the opportunities, the it had less interest. And what was very interesting for him was to find, okay, so what is what is beyond what is beyond this? What is beyond old age, sickness and death? Where is there real safety? Where is there where is there a place where the the realities of having a body that gets old and feels pain is not the primary thing or the only thing that has meaning. And so that sent him out on this quest, looking for the answer. And this quest took him into the teachers of the day who were masters of concentration. They had, they had the ability to absorb their mind into, into, into a unified field and from that experience some of the greatest kinds of bliss that is possible to be known in this human experience. But they, these experiences were, were like all experiences. They come and they go. And when the experiences left, he was still left with these big questions. And, and, and the modern day equivalent of, you know, what do I do with my in-laws? And, you know, how come my computer isn't fast enough? And I'm, I'm worried because my gas doesn't get enough mileage. And who's going to pay the taxes? And, you know, and, and what do I do when my teenage kids come home and their hair is purple and they've got, they've got punctures in their ears and, and their bellies and who knows where else? And <laughs> so the normal kinds of stuff that we experience as human beings was not changed by these experiences of profound absorption into the unification of concentration. So he thought, this is not the answer. You know, it's great, it's nice, it's like Club Med on steroids, but it's not the answer. You know, it's lovely to experience such deep and profound pleasure, but it's not the answer. Because like anything, it comes and it goes. You know? 
So he said, what's the answer? What's the answer? There's got to be an answer. There has got to be an answer. What is beyond old age, sickness, and death? And that set him on this quest of trying to find the answer. And so it was when his mind opened to an experience that he had when he was a kid, watching his father plow the fields, where his mind relaxed into just awareness, where he began to get a sense of the path, that it wasn't through the absorption of the mind into these refined states, but it was through the open awareness of just relaxing and allowing things to be without actually identifying with them, that there was an insight that that was the way forward. And so then what happened was is that he, he had this very strong resolve and he went to the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya and he said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to stay until I, I crack this and if it means that my, my blood dries up and my bone turns to dust, so be it. I, I'm done with this <coughs> messiness stuff. I want, I want the answer. Now, we hear that story and some of us think, oh, well, if the Buddha did that, I can do that. And so we go and we sit under a tree and we have a complete full psychic breakdown because we don't have the skills that the Buddha has. We don't have the training. So we can't just determine with power that it's the only thing that is needed, that we're just going to sit here until we are completely awakened. It's the bringing together of many conditions. So... The cause and effect, the cause and effect. There are many conditions that are needed in order for the mind to wake up to recognize the ending of suffering. And intention is one of many. The Buddha had intention, but he also had the power and the preparedness that when he made that intention, he didn't have a psychotic breakdown. His mind opened up and he did experience clarity to see what was free. Now, in that night, or in that process, he was tempted. So, at that time, he was a 36-year-old man, and, and so, for a cisgendered heterosexual male, then temptation would look a particular way. If he wasn't cisgendered, if he wasn't male, it would look a different way. But nevertheless, that was the shape he was showing up as. And so the temptations that came to him, came to him in that form. So, the first thing that came was lust. You know, and so, for a cisgender, heterosexual male, it came as voluptuous maidens to tempt him. You know? And so the question was, you know, what does he do with all of this? And so whether it was actually something from outside coming to tempt him, or whether it was his own mind coming to tempt him, really is irrelevant. What is lovely is the way that he responded, which is that, I know you, Mara. He didn't have to engage in battle. He didn't need to go to war with lust. He didn't need to get out his arrows or his bombs. or He didn't need to run. He didn't need to have a battle with lust. 
all he needed to say was, I know you, Mara. I see this. I see you. And Mara was vanquished. Now, if you're not cisgendered, if you're not heterosexual, what shows up is going to look different in terms of where your attraction gets aroused. And so what we need to listen for is not what the temptations were for the Buddha, but what are the temptations for us in the way we show up, in our expression, in our form. So that we begin to recognize what are our triggers, what, what, are, what activates us, what throws us off our seat of a conviction, of confidence, of clarity. Where do we lose it? So that we begin to recognize that. They're patterns. Then the next thing that came was aggression. So, living in a monastery with men and women, I've noticed, might not always be the case in every situation, but I've noticed that both men and women have aggression and they express it very differently. Mm-hmm. So for men, it's often outward in terms of either verbal or physical gestures of expression of aggression. And it's like they duke it out. And usually, or can be, that it's duked out quickly, it's intense, and then it's over. With women, it's very different. Rather than duking it outward, it's often that the whole like place of belonging is poisoned, so that there's no sense of feeling safe where you live. It's not the same. It's not an out there thing. And it usually doesn't go away quickly. It's not an intense burst and disperses. It's usually persistent and repetitive. It doesn't mean that it's less angry or less damaging. It just means that it expresses itself differently. So this came to the Buddha and it was like, okay, all of this aggression and this violence and this competitiveness and this was right in front of him. And he said, I see you, Mara. I see this. I see you. I do not need to go into war with this. I recognize this as an expression of everything that does not want me to be free. And then that was vanquished. And then the third host of Mara, which I find absolutely fascinating. This is the Buddha. Okay, the Buddha. This is somebody who was raised as a prince with absolutely everything that he needed. Absolutely the best thing that could possibly be in the world. He had it all. And the last host of Mara was doubt. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? to be free. Who do you think you are to be free? How dare you think you can be free? (laughs) That happened to the Buddha. If it can happen to the Buddha, it can happen to us. Who do you think you are to be free? Have you heard that voice before? 
Now, for some of us, it's more insidious. Before we can even ask the question, who do we think we are to be free, we're asking the question, is it okay for us to be alive? Is it okay? Is it safe for me to be present? And so whether we are asking one question or the other question, the Buddha's response was, I see you, Mara. I don't need to go to war to agree. I don't need to disagree. I don't need to battle. I don't need to fight. And then he touched the earth. This gesture here this Buddha gesture of touching the earth. And in touching the earth, he evoked the goddess of the earth and asked the goddess of the earth to bear witness to the eons of accumulated goodness of everything that he had done that was a restraining of acting of harm and active doing of good acts of generosity, acts of kindness, acts of compassion, he asked the earth to bear witness. So it wasn't only him pulling himself by his bootstraps. That was not the only thing that happened. He was witnessed. He was seen. His goodness was seen. And that was the condition right before his mind opened up and there was no longer any more suffering that bound him. Now, this is an important thing to remember that when we are witnessed in our own goodness, that supports our mind's opening to the truth. And so, as powerful as it is to sit in silence and to be with our own minds, with the support of the teachings, it's also helpful to learn how to be with each other and see each other's goodness and be present in awareness as we witness each other and allow that witnessing to be part of what helps us wake up. Just like what happened with the Buddha. So he was in a big thing about what happened to him because it was a big shift and he was processing this for weeks and at the end of this processing he thought, okay, so who do I share this with, you know? What I see is actually not so simple. You know, some of these teachings are not so simple. So he thought, I don't don't know. I don't know who I can share it with. And so then Brahma Sahapati, the the Brahma god in the Brahma realm, 
came and said, you know, but there are people who don't have a lot of dust in their eyes. There are people who can understand this. Teach for them. So he said, all right, you know, I'll give it my best shot. And so he left to try and find who might be receptive to these teachings. And then he looked in his mind's eye and could see that his previous teachers, they'd already transitioned, they were no longer living. But the five ascetics that he'd practiced with were still together. And so he walked to Benares, where they still were. And they had thought he was a complete washout wimp because he abandoned the ascetic practices that they were determined and committed was the right way. And he thought, no, they are not the right way. And he went his own way, on his own, alone, because what he could see was the way his colleagues were practicing was not conducive. But he went right back to them when he had clarity. And they were determined to diss him, to ignore him, to write him off, to be disrespectful. And he returned radiant and luminous. And so in spite of themselves... They offered him a seat, they gave him water, they sat around, they listened, and they wanted to know what he had to say. And he said, this path is not about extremes. It's not about mortifying our bodies. It's not about indulging in sense pleasures. It's between those two. It's a middle path. And that middle path is supported when we bring together different path factors. And those path factors support us to recognize that in this world there is a truth that there is stress, that there is difficulty, that there is pain, that there is sorrow, that there is heartbreak, that our bodies hurt, our backs hurt, my knee hurts, that there are ticks, that there's traffic. There's a truth to that. This is not just poor imagination or a lack of wishful thinking. There's truth to that. Right before I came in, I heard that a a very dear friend of mine, his sister just died yesterday. There's truth But he went on to say that there's also a cause of dukkha, of suffering, of sorrow, and of stress. And from this perspective, it 
can be that we can see that the causes are because of wanting and not wanting. That the real pain of my knee is not the pain in my knee, but the real pain is not wanting the pain. The real pain (coughs) is not wanting the ticks, not wanting the traffic, not wanting to be separated from somebody that I love, not wanting to have things that I don't want, and wanting to have things that I want. I love it when it's green. I love it when the flowers are blooming. I love it when the turkeys are having their tails fanning and the deer are out. I love it when the weather is mild. I love it when I see people's faces relax. I love it when I see people connecting the dots of what's happening and the choices that they can make. And it brings more peace, more freedom. So there is sorrow, suffering, there's dukkha, and there's a cause of it. And so when you focus on wanting and not wanting, when you focus on that, when you focus on the not wanting to feel anxious or lonely or sad. And the release of the not wanting opens up more space. And in that space, there is the ability to practice the eightfold noble path. which includes seeing clearly, letting our minds settle, living with integrity, and practicing. And the practice is of understanding these foundations of mindfulness. To use our body as a temple where we constantly are returning to referencing what's happening now and how am I relating to it? Am I grasping? Do I want it? Am I leaning in front of myself? Am I beside myself? I'm not wanting. Am I not wanting? And when I notice the wanting and the not wanting, when I focus my attention right there, right there, And the wanting and the not wanting can release. It might not be that the pain in my knee goes away. Sometimes, because sometimes the pain in my knee is actually because I don't want. It's not always. But there's a connection between what's going on in our minds and what's going on in our bodies. And so when we can release some of the gripping in our mind, 
Sometimes what happens is our bodies shift and change in ways that we cannot necessarily imagine. So dependent origination, this big, very cumbersome combination of words, is what's happening in the second and the third noble truth. It's the cause of suffering and the cessation of suffering. It's the pieces, the cause and effect of what is going on that actually creates this amalgamation of suffering and where we can focus our attention that allows it to open, to release, to become more spacious, to have more choices. And so... That's the ticket. That's the goal. That's the key. That is gold. Whenever we can find a way to reduce or release suffering, that is absolutely priceless. There is no price. For releasing suffering. So this whole weekend, or three-day weekend, three-day retreat, is built around us getting a sense of what this is and how we can understand it. And bring it alive in our bodies, in our hearts. Yes, there will be some time where we'll touch some of the conceptual frameworks around it. But if we touch that too soon before we feel it then what happens is all our energy comes up here ties itself into a pretzel and then we try and figure out how do you unravel the pretzel it's not helpful so I'm going to wait until we're ready before I bring out more of the weird words that are connected to this phrase, dependent origination, or codependent arising, or patichi samapada. They're all three ways of saying the same thing. And they're about the cause and effect relationships that bring us about this feeling of I don't want and the suffering that comes from that. And the places where we have choice, where the whole thing can open up. And so here we were today practicing with our bodies. Every one of us has got a body. There isn't anybody here who doesn't have a body. Could you feel it? The pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings in your body. Could you feel it? Could you get a sense when there was pleasant, you wanted more? When it was unpleasant, you wanted it to go away? You could sense that? Could you sense that what was happening when it was neutral was like, get me out of here, let me think about something that's pleasant. Did you notice that? Neutral is harder to notice because our attention just slips right off of it. Anyway, so this is what I was wanting us to talk about and to do today. And now I'd like to shift gears and have a time for questions or discussions or comments or impact 
about how the day has been. What you noticed, what was easy, what was, what was not easy, what was terrible. <laughs> Adrian, please. Well, I have a question. Can we, let's, let's just pass the mic so that everyone can hear you. I guess it's about suffering, um, about, um, you said, good suffering and bad suffering, basically. Um, What about just being with the suffering? Being with the suffering is an absolute option. And so there is a whole way that we can learn to be with the suffering, and that can be part of of what opens it up and shifts it. So, you know, we have a body... And with having a body, there is feeling that comes with the package. It's going to be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There's nothing we can do about that. Okay? It comes, it's, it's, it's part of what is in the package. But then when we have pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, the initial response to that is, I like it, I don't like it, or I want to go away. Yeah? But how we are with those things very much determines what happens next. So being and being present, we can be present with contact. We can be present with wanting and not wanting. We can be present with the ability, with the spacing out that happens around neutral. And when we are present rather than reactive, then we get a different result. Then we get what? A different result. Mm-hmm. husband it's heavy you know but when my husband was dying um i was being he had alzheimer's he was only 65 he early on he got early onset and he died at 65 he was a qigong teacher actually the wenwu and um we'd been together 41 years so i knew him really well and the the evolvement of the disease, um, I, it was hard, you know, not wanting, wanting. But it, the, at the end, I was uh, just being with it and knew what he wanted. You know, I knew what I wanted because we had taken a death and die. I mean, it's also about education, I think, you know. So we, you know, we, had, I know, so I was with the suffering and had assistance with that. Um, and also refused assistance for people that weren't just. Yeah. And so I think that's where our clarity comes. We know what we need, we know what we want, we know what we don't need, we know what we don't want. And when that choice is coming from wisdom and compassion rather than from identification and grasping, it has a, a, a very clarifying impact. And so, yes, it is painful. And I can, I can, I can sense, you know, the, the, the weight of, of being present with that. Mm-hmm. And yet I also sense in you the clarity, the peace, the, the spaciousness that's present through the challenge of it, through finding a way of being present.
I have um, kind of a follow-up question because um, through meditation, obviously we learn to not push away negative um, emotions or feelings, to just be with it. But I find myself then going into a kind of trance and not getting out of it. Um, so if there is um, what you would uh, classify as a negative emotion, I'm with it and I see it, I face it, I'll tell it, I know you're there, but it doesn't go away. Then physically, my body will just go into a type of trance. So does the trance happen because the unpleasant feeling doesn't go away, or does the trance happen for a different reason? Why, what, what, is, mm. what is triggering, what is activating the trance? I keep scrolling, let's say, yeah, the negative emotion goes into something else, probably that is bigger. Let's say, I'll give you like uh, an example. I feel envy. And I'm like, oh, I'm feeling envy right now. I'd see it. And before you know it, it's, I'm not good enough. You know, it keeps growing, growing, growing. So I guess the question is, um, just being aware of it, it's not being enough. It isn't enough. And so sometimes what happens with these habits that are really strong, we need to do different things than just be aware of them. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift gears and talk about something else and then come back to this conversation, okay? So I've been meditating many years. I know about being aware with things. When I went through the fires in Santa Rosa, it had a really bad impact on my health. And eventually I came to learn about neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is how to work with your brain and so you shift out of certain things, okay? It's not antithetical. It's not different from meditation. But what it understands is is that when your system has been inundated with too much, like for me it was too much stress from the toxicity, from the fires, then the brain gets jammed into a stress response. And it needs very specific kinds of support in order to move out of patterns that are not helpful. Because it's jammed. It's like, it's like if the pedal on your car gets jammed, you can't just release your foot. You need to physically release the pedal. Okay? So the normal things that we're used to when we're driving a car is that when we, we accelerate and then we release our foot from the pedal, it will, it will slow down, the acceleration. But when the pedal gets jammed, it doesn't slow down when you lift your foot up. So there are certain kinds of things that happen to us that jam our systems into stress responses. And our ordinary skills in meditation don't help us. We need to have specialized meditation skills. So neuroplasticity is a little bit like uh, dependent origination on steroids, specifically for jammed stress responses. Because it, it... holds us and redirects us very deliberately away from the things that are activating the stress response. So when our systems are in something that is unpleasant, and then there's more unpleasant that gets associated with it, 
there's envy. And then I feel bad about the fact that I'm envious. And then I judge myself by the fact that I'm judging myself. And then you have this, this, this snowball. And then after a short period of time, it becomes outside of our capacity just to be with it. It has gripped us and it's running. So what's needed is to recognize that the energy of all of that is more than our capacity is to just be with it and to take our attention and turn it towards something that is positive or neutral. Like counting the windows in the room or counting the chairs in the room or seeing how many red things there are or counting backwards by a hundred counting from a hundred backwards by threes or by sevens or letting your attention move into something that brings you joy or focusing on where you feel grateful or thinking about something that just makes you absolutely happy remembering a time when you were happy and feeling it in your body So that rather than just being with this process which has this momentum and is running, we redirect our attention to something deliberately different in order to let our systems reacquaint ourselves with what those feelings of feeling okay or feeling good feel like. And then when our system is reacquainted with that, then we can go back to witnessing what's happening without getting stuck and hijacked by it. So part of our skill in meditation is to learn when we don't have the skill to meditate. (laughs) And that we need different techniques, we need different tools, we need something else to support us. It's like a doctor, a gifted doctor, knows when the medicines can be applied and when they cannot be applied. So it doesn't mean that the medicine isn't a good medicine. It's just that there are times when for every single medicine, when it is not useful to apply it. And the same is true in meditation. What's challenging for many of us who have a lot of faith in meditation is is that we think that meditation is the only thing that we need. And so then it comes up against the fact, but I thought all I needed, all I needed was meditation. And then we think, well, well, what's happening here? It's... It is meditation in in a very particular bandwidth that is needed, that has much more to do with focusing on what is healthy and wholesome rather than just bringing attention to everything that's going on. So, just for an example, in the neuroplasticity community, the culture is that we do not speak about any of the pains or illnesses that we're dealing with. It's off limits. We refer to them in code as an it. And the And the habits, the negative habits that we have connected to all of our its are referred to as POPs, pathways of the past. So we don't mention our its 
and we don't mention our pops because this whole community's systems have gotten jammed into stress and we're all trying to turn our attention to re-remember what it's like to feel okay, to feel pleasure, to feel joy, to feel alive, to feel healthy, to feel grateful. And it's all too easy for us to go back so we have to deliberately turn the other direction. Any other questions? Yes, please. On that specific subject, how do you deliberately turn in a world... So in our in the in the neuroplasticity community we make a certain amount of effort to shield ourselves from unnecessary exposures so we take care to stay away from social media to be extremely selective about the kinds of things that we are watching or witnessing in terms of where we go and we stay within our capacity when we're navigating and when we're having to deal with insurance brokers or doctors or anybody that is potentially activating, then we are careful before, during, and after to redirect our attention as quickly as possible back into what's positive. In when we're when you've got things like that, you're in the middle of a you know your house has has been impacted by fires and you've got to figure it out. There's only a certain amount that we can put ourselves in a bubble because it's a reality that we've got to get from this crisis place into a place where there's more stability. But for each of us, we have choices about how much exposure we are involved with. And what we don't always have is discernment about what our capacities are in terms of what we can skillfully manage so our nervous systems are being jammed into stress responses, but we're addicted to this input because we don't see a skillful alternative. And so we're, we're, we are compounding the problem. So what, what, what's helpful is to, is to begin to get some signposts of what shows us our capacity so that we have some measure of... of what our capacity is, and that will help us be discerning about what kind of exposure we can manage skillfully. Regulate the volume. Or regulate the regularity of the input. Yeah. So, you know, part of... And so that's... When our systems are jammed into a stress response, that we need specific medicine in order to come back into a place of regulation. Of, of normality, of our nervous system being regulated, which is different from ordinarily life situations, okay? And so, like, when you've got a broken bone, we don't think twice about putting it in a cast. And we keep it in the cast until the bone is knit. We don't take the cast off until the bone is knit. And that comes with having a broken bone. We're not that skilled yet in being able to ascertain when our brains are jammed into a stress response 
and being able to put it into a, a brain cast where we selectively support only certain kinds of things until that jam gets unjammed and our systems are working in a way that has the capacity to navigate. So with a bone, we've got x-rays. We can see when it's knitted back together again. We are learning what the signposts are for when the system is jammed and when it has unjammed in terms of what are the telltale signs of that shift. As long as we're jammed into a stress response, it's not skillful to be receiving regular input about the sorrow, tragedies, suffering, catastrophes that are happening in the world. Because we can't process the, 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 the level of stress that's within our own body, heart, mind. We're overwhelmed. And so in this time right now, with the amount of stuff that's going on in the world, it's not a small feat to keep ourselves insulated and protected, to create a bubble around us so that we can stay where we are focusing on what's positive. Now, this is specific when our systems are jammed. It's not an ordinary level of unpleasantness that we just are mildly not able, not liking. It's that our systems are not functioning properly because we have not yet come back to a place of ease. You see the difference? Yeah. And many of us are navigating jammed systems. Which is part of the reason why as powerful as silence is, it's not what we need. What we need is movement. What we need is, is sound. What we need is rhythm in order to get our bodies back into a place where we feel them. They are alive and here. And then when we, they are alive and here, then we have more capacity to work with what's going on. With me? Yeah. More questions? More comments? More impact about what I've talked about and where it's landing in you. Yes, please. Well, it's just interesting to me to see the extent that these um, that these reactions are embedded and snap into place with no sort of thought ahead of time. And I had I had just a funny experience in. And doing that in the walking meditation, I went outside and I decided I want to walk near the fountain outside because it's so pleasant, the sounds of the water. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'm walking over there thinking about pleasant Vedana. So it's just interesting to me to see the levels at which these things operate sort of below the radar. Right, so the quality of ignorance is is that it doesn't see itself. That's one of its characteristics. And so what we need to do is we need to get it set up so that we can start seeing the footsteps of the Yeti, where we get closer and closer and closer to where the Yeti is, because you can't see the Yeti. But you can see the footsteps of the Yeti. You can't 
see ignorance directly, but you can see the traces of ignorance. And the traces of ignorance is this, is this process of getting lost by pleasant feeling, getting absorbed and lost and taken by it. And so then we see that and notice it and notice the impact of that, and that gives us more choice in where we focus our attention. And so that's the beauty of having a, a class like this, a course like this, where we can open up the black box and show the light in and see where we have choice and focus our attention. Bruce. been to the Spirit Rock just on one former occasion, so my brain is still very quite a newbie, you know, on, on capturing these this qualitative, quantitative thinking. Um, but um, that particular session was the inner child, and the, there's a just there's a side of us that seems to be wanting to undermine or is destructive. Unpleasant occurrences when we were little, and we were enumerating and exaggerating, you know, just bringing back into into memory of un- very unpleasant things that have built up in our in our lives. And instead of it being an adversary, that there was they were saying that it's a part of us, and that we need to uh, start with discussion. You know, when it pops into your head, and, and the question was with the inner child is. How does this benefit us? That you've been, you've imposed this thought on my, on our lives. Uh, perhaps we should think it through and, and study it a little further. But be, to be almost kind of a friend to this demon who's trying to undermine our happiness in, in our life and, and uh, speak more and, and respect that it's a part of who we are. That's the role that it's playing. It can't help it. Can't help itself. Can you help me? Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. And then I'd like to close with some movement and some chanting. Um, my question is about, uh, and this, you know, may be more on the topic like tomorrow and Sunday that we're getting into, but like the concept of regret and when you look back at maybe a decision that you realize wasn't so skillful or that you would want to do differently in the in the future. Like on the one hand, you know, how do you skillfully sort of learn from what learn from past decisions so that you can grow and make wiser decisions, but then on the other hand not um, like blame yourself or beat yourself up for having done that. Um, so so Jody, that's a brilliant question because it's it's what's the difference between guilt and remorse? What's the difference between toxic shame and the shame that pulls back and is cautious about wanting to cause harm again? One is destructive and the other is incredibly useful. And how do we move? How do we, how do we take the destructive one and sift out the gold so it turns into the one that's useful? So the destructive one, well, the way it functions is it takes what happened 
and it makes you a bad person. So it looks at everything in terms of you as a solid and bad solid thing. Okay? That's not helpful. It's destructive. It doesn't support you and it doesn't help you make better choices. Because the irony is that the perfect punishment for a bad person is to do exactly the same bad thing again. So it's a loop. What is helpful is to see when you did this, when there was this action, this speech, there was this result. So rather than it be about you, it's about cause and effect. When I am not attentive to my limits, I overextend myself. When I overextend myself, there is a negative consequence that I pay and others pay as well. It's not about you being bad. It's about when there was this choice and action, there is this result. Can you see the difference? When it's separated out into cause and effect, there isn't a solid separate bad person in there. There's just the recognition that these things give rise to those results. And that process is tremendously useful because when we see cause and effect, that can support us having the courage and the persistence to do the things that we need to do that will keep us from making that mistake again. Like sometimes the things that I felt bad about is the stuff that I didn't do because I didn't have the courage to say something that was awkward or to say, speak up when somebody was, 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 was being unskillful around me because I didn't feel like it was my place. But then I sat with the regret of not having said something. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah. And then Pam, did you have a question? Was your hand up? No? Okay. Oh, I had a question. Oh. So you talked about three things. You talked about temptation, you talked about aggression, and you talked about feeling like you don't deserve any you don't deserve freedom. But in each one of those discussions you said something like here comes the Mara or the Mara. So Mara is the personification of ignorance. And in the Buddha's teaching, Mara is both something that comes from outside as well as the expression inside of what happens when our minds move into doubt or into aggression or into desire. So so Mara is is the is is the expression of of um, ignorance. Okay, thank you. And thank you for asking me. You yeah, know, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the, the language. No, but that's good, because what happens when you've been living in a monastery for a hundred years is that you forget that these things that for you are normal are not the normal words that ordinary people use. So it's excellent you ask me those questions. Thank you. Yeah. So um, let's stand up, and let's do some... Um, 
some clapping rounds, and then I want to do a standing sharing of sharing merit. So we just start with our hands together, with our palms together, and we clap. Ho ho ha 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 and then the last one is very good, very good, yay. Let's do that again. Very good, very good, yay. And one more time. Very good, very good, yay. So standing up and just feeling our feet on the ground one more time and letting our bodies relax and our weight sink into the floor. And just think about all of the different things that came together that made it possible for us to each be here today. And the many, many, many different choices that we had. And the place, this incredible place. And that we've come and we've had a day together. We're getting to know each other. We're settling into a routine. And we have had the results that we've had. We've got the experience. We've got the insights that we've had. But more than the direct experience, it's like we're sitting on top of this treasure trove of diamonds, rubies, of gold. Because these teachings have within them the power to liberate, to free us, to give us peace and space. And so in addition to sharing the blessings of our direct experience, we can also share the gifts and the blessings of what it is to have contact with teachings that show us how to bring light into darkness. And we're doing that together with each other. With the support of Spirit Rock, the staff and the volunteers, the turkeys, the wildflowers, the trees, the creek. And we can let the goodness of bringing light into our experience be a light that is shared out, radiating to each one here, radiating to family and friends that are not here, radiating to loved ones that need some more support, radiating into the land, into the turkeys, into the trees, into the wildflowers, into the coyotes, and to the ticks. That all beings everywhere, everywhere, can receive the blessings of our practice here and can know more peace. Can close with very good, very good. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Please leave the books here, yes.
The books, yeah, please leave the books here, yes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.